Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Drinking During Business Hours. I'm your host, Sarah J. What a show. What a show we have for you today. Today's featured wine is Roberto Bonfante Melbeck Ground Reserva. You know, whenever I have a guest, I try to choose a wine that best describes their personality. And I think Melbeck, just being big, robust, bold, and a leader, best describes who I have today. I have one of the hardest working, talented, most funny comedian and actors in the industry. You may recognize him from the host of the Trusty Sidekick podcast, or possibly you recognize him uh, from his feature in Spike Lee's joint Chirac, or you may recognize him from host of Screen Junkies. Ladies and gentlemen, I have Jay Washington. Thank you for having me. Thank Yay, you. Hey, thanks for being you here. You just made me feel so special just with that introduction alone. And it's I true. It. You know, it's it's really, really true. Thank I, you. One thing, I'm not I'm not confident about a lot of things about mm-hmm. myself, but one thing I'm really confident that no one can take away from me is my work ethic. And you, Jay Washington, make me look lazy. Okay? And I, I'm a hardworking <laughs> person in this industry. I, or I feel think like, I am. I feel like a lot of times I'm not even doing a third of what I should be doing. You know, and why is that? Is that just something? Now, you're from the Midwest. Yes, you're from Chicago. From Chicago. I'm from the Midwest. Do you th- Did that come from your childhood, yes. that work ethic? Yes, absolutely. Uh, my mother was a single mother. Uh, my father passed when I was five. Mm. And my mother worked hard to support my, bro- my younger brother and myself. And at 16, I got my first job. Then I ended up having two jobs, and then I kept constantly working and working, and I knew I had to work and do this and do that. And I was always trying to keep my hand in multiple pots. So I always have been like, I have to work. I have to push myself harder and harder. So being able to do that and then making the transition from, at the time, being a professional wrestler Mm -hmm. to now stand-up comedian and then transitioning from comedian into actor, actor and the host, and even being a radio personality, which I was doing for four years, it was like, okay, I have to be able to do all of these different avenues to have multiple people know who I am. So Right. Well, cheers to that. Cheers. I hope you like the wine. We will see. I trust you. A beautiful wine from, uh, you had told me that you liked wine and... I was really excited to have you on. But oh, he, he, I like this. Oh, you do? Good, good. I like this. Oh, it's, it really is, uh, in my opinion, one of the best Melbacks out there. I'm glad you like it. It is amazing. So right? if you like this, that means you have a rather um, fruit-forward palate. Yes. You like You like big wines. Yes, I do. I like it. It just all, it all depends on, on my mood. <laughs> you know, if it's summer, I like something lighter. But now I, we're getting a little bit into like the colder weather. Is that what you call this out in California? I know. I guess so. I mean, <laughs> but you've been to here the Midwest. I mean, like, you've been here so long. So I've been out here. It'll be two years for I me. Like, so oh, okay. I, it'll be in December. So I'm trying to lose that whole, oh, you think this is cold. This isn't cold. <laughs> you had a lot of jobs when you were younger. Yes. What kind of jobs? So my very first job, I was a gate attendant and an usher for Star Detective and Security Agency. I worked for Soldier Field. Wow. And then I got another job doing the same thing at the United Center and Comiskey Park, where the Bulls play and where the White Sox play. So I was doing that. Impressive first jobs. And yes. security at that, right? <laughs> it wasn't really like security. Or... The, those were called security agency, but all we doing, were doing was taking tickets, okay. showing people the seats and things like that. Um, I did those. Then I ended up working, because I was still in high school at the time. After I left, after I left those, 
I worked at uh, the White Castle down the street. Awesome. Which was cool. It was cool because when I worked there, they were filming the movie Light It Up. The oh. Usher film Light It Up. Yeah. And they, the film crew, this is my first time being introduced to a film crew. They all came down and bought a whole bunch of White Castle burgers for everybody on the oh, set. that's so awesome. So yeah, I did that. Um, what do I do after that? I, so many different jobs. I worked for a... Uh, Lawn maintenance company, True Green Kim Lawn. Wow. I did that lawn care maintenance. I worked for, uh, what else? I, my so was, you learned how to be self-sufficient. Self-sufficient, from, yeah. I've, like I've done independent, so self-sufficient, hardworking. I always found, I knew that where there was a will, there was a way. Yeah. You can always make something happen. You just have to be willing to go the extra distance. You have to be willing to look and not sell yourself short sometimes. You know, I know a lot of people are like, well, if I do this, yeah, true, you don't have to demean yourself. Yeah. But you can find things that don't demean you, don't devalue you, and still can allow you to do what you need to do. Now, did you discover wrestling in high school or was it prior? I mean, when did you, because you really scream athlete, mm -hmm. you're, you're obviously very athletic. So when did you have that epiphany that? So I've always been a wrestling fan since I was a kid. And one of the uh, unique things we used to do, a couple friends of mine, we would always play wrestle and have matches in my grandmother's front lawn. I got cursed at so many times because she was like, why do you have to be in my grass? <laughs> and so we would always do that. And uh, one of my best friends, he's been my friend for over 30 years, uh, Atlas. That's his actual name. Atlas. He joined Windy City Pro Wrestling. And when he joined, he was like, hey, you want to come down and start learning how to train for real and, and get in the ring? I was like, Yeah. And so we went down there, and it was $2,500. I was like, no. Oh. I was like, I don't want to do no. that. So a couple of months later, he left Windy City Pro Wrestling. He went to another company, IUWA. And he was like, this is $40 a month. I was like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> and so I started training. That was in 2000, 1999 to 2000. And I started doing that. And um, so many crazy different wrestling gimmicks and wrestling in small little uh, rec recreational centers. And so you were enjoying it. It was it was it was cool because I was living a dream. I was wrestling. Yeah. I just knew what I was doing. And then at first I was just having fun. And then it was like, okay, let's start to take this a little bit more seriously. And I did, and I started being able to travel the country with it. And I met so many people who some still to this day are great friends. One of the great things about going up and down the road with, with wrestling, just like with stand-up, is you make some lifelong bonds. Oh yeah. I have friends now who are currently on the roster of the WWE who are currently on the roster of Impact Wrestling because of the friendships we've made 15, 20 years ago almost. And so... I would think it'd be, yeah. You know, it's always... And, and, and it's so funny because... Bonding circle. Oh, it absolutely is. It's, but it's like with acting, with stand-up as mm -hmm. well. The funny thing, though, is we'll, we'll converse, and I'll be like, man, y'all out here living the life. And they'll be like, uh, do you not realize you are in TV and film? I'd be like, yeah, but y'all on TV every week. He's like, yeah, but we ain't got to be in pain no more. You ain't got to be in pain no more. We do. And so we'll go back and forth jokingly. The grass is always greener. Yeah, for, for, depends on how you look at <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, it really you know? does. And so that happened. And literally in 2008 or nine, I started working for, 2008 or nine, I started working for a medical chiropractic, medical, uh, for a chiropractic company, excuse me, as a medical biller. So I was doing the insurance billing and claims for the company for like a 12 offices. And we got free chiropractic services. Oh, that's a nice trade-off. Which was a great thing. Especially when you're a wrestler. I'm sure you need it. Here's the thing. I've never done it. Had one for the first time. I went and you're supposed to get, you get x-rayed. 
So when I got x-ray, the doctor, she showed me my x-ray. She said, uh, come here for a second, because it was a black woman. It was the greatest thing ever. She was like, come here for a second. Come here for a second. It's like a Christmas you. massage she like, for you. Yeah, she was like, she was like let, me, let, me, let, me show, let me talk to you for a second. And I was like, what's wrong? She put up my x-ray, and I looked at my neck. I was like, oh, my neck looks okay. She said, your neck is supposed to bend like a backward C. Your vertebrae are going straight up and down. Ooh. I don't know what it is you're doing because no one knew. I couldn't tell anybody because I got insurance at the time. I couldn't tell them I was a professional wrestler. Oh. If I got hurt, my insurance wouldn't cover me. I was like, she was like, I don't know what it is you're doing, but you're going to have to stop. If not, your vertebrae will, will fuse and you'll need to get surgery to get them unfused. I was like, oh. That sounds serious. So, oh, I don't want to, you know. Right. So, luckily, as fate would have it, I started, I had hit my first open mic. And my first open mic, I never would have hit because I was discovered off Facebook to literally start doing stand-up. Well, you're very active on Facebook and you write the funniest posts. Thank you're, you so much. You're an entertainer on Facebook as well. I've and learned, I guess, I thank you for my, first and foremost. I've learned that nowadays social media has to be just as important what we do in person. Agreed. So I try to, like, at times I'm open and I'm vulnerable on social media, but I'm also like, hey, I can write just as much funny stuff as I'll say on stage. But I was on, this was like the early st stages of Facebook. I was on there, and there was a girl who had an entertainment company, and I don't know how we became friends. I guess it was through mutual friends. Mm -hmm. She hit me up. She said, hey, have you ever thought about doing stand-up? She's like, you're funny. I was like, kind of. I don't know how I would go about doing it. She said, listen, let's meet, and I think I can set something up. Her and I met, and she set up for me to do my first ever open mic, which I did at the Checkerboard Lounge, which is now closed. It was a legendary club. I did it. I did five. And she was like, yeah, you got to have five minutes worth of material. I was like, I can write five minutes worth of jokes with no problem. So I did. Did my very first open mic, and I destroyed. And now we're Chicago legends in the crowd. were like, yo, you good. Wow. And I was like, yeah, I'm good at this. I know I can do this. <laughs> Went back the next week with a whole new set of material. So it's like, if I can write jokes the first time, I can write jokes the second time. Went back again, wrote jokes, and I bombed so bad. I'm so glad to hear this. I bombed. I'm so glad so I had you said and you would have slayed again. I would have been so jealous. Okay. Because that's not how it's supposed so to go. Hard. <laughs> I was looking at myself like, what happened? I bombed so hard. I had to reevaluate myself. Welcome to the world of comedy. Yes. I <laughs> proceeded. Comedy. So then I thought this was a fluke. I can't oh, bomb like man. this. I entered into a stand-up comedy competition two weeks later. So would you say that you got the bug from bombing or you got the bug from slaying? Oh, I got the bug, bug from slaying. Okay. I got the bug from slaying, but my dedication didn't want to let me go out like that. Yeah. Because I bombed. No, I knew I can be you, good. You had to, yes. Because I know I can be good. So it was like if I hadn't, if I hadn't been good and I kept bombing, I might not still be here. But when I found out I could be good right out the gate, that was that, it was like chasing that first high. Mm -hmm. So I was chasing it. I did a competition two weeks in, two, three weeks in the stand-up. I bombed so bad. The crowd said nothing. They were silent. I went in my car and cried. I talk about that all the time, <laughs> don't I, Jason? <laughs> I went in my <laughs> car and I talked about it in cried. so many episodes. Am I going to talk about it in this one, too? 
Because <laughs> it was, I it have was, gone back to my car and cried so many times. I mean, that was because it was just I never felt that before. Oh. I never felt where a crowd didn't want to give you any bit of energy. And yeah. in, the, in the wrestling world, that can happen too because you have what's called faces, which are the good guys, heels, which are the bad guys. Mm-hmm. And your job is from the moment you come out that curtain to make the crowd either love you or hate you. Mm-hmm. There are some people who are supposed to be the bad guys. The crowd can care less. Yeah. They don't even want to give you a response. Yeah. Do you know how bad it is? The crowd's like, I don't even want to boo you. Ooh. And that's what it felt like with stand-up. And I was like, no, nah, this can't happen. And so I would find, I would keep chasing it. I would go do open mics. I would go to different places. Um, I started doing one. I was like, okay. And I you're gotta, doing all your own writing. All my own writing. Yeah. For, never, okay. I never reached yeah. out to anybody. I never took yeah. any jokes. I never watched the internet and said, oh, I can rewrite this joke. I think that's, but I think that, that I, it's commendable and it's the only way because we have to find our brand. We mm-hmm. have to find our personality on stage. We're not going to find it if someone else is writing it. No, not at all. You know? And so I kept doing that. And this was three to four years of just on and off good and maybe okay i remember i got the opportunity to finally feature uh, my buddy kevin williams he was going to peoria he was like hey i want you to feature for me i was like cool i shouldn't have went in retrospect i should not have gone i wasn't ready for that Hmm. the club owner i was like how much i was like how much time do you want me to do he was like yeah can you do 30 Ooh! at the time i was like uh yeah of course <laughs> i'm looking at my notebook of every joke i've ever oh, written at the time oh man i am again feeling your i'm sweat. honest i'm honest with myself that i should not have done that yeah i made it through we've all done it though. i literally skated through mm-hmm. because i was like i can just do do jokes and i know how to do them and i'll be good that shouldn't happen so fast forward maybe a couple of years later a comedic friend of mine who's out here now, Ryan Buds. Ryan did this thing, 30 sets in 30 days. Hmm. And I was like, hmm, that sounds interesting. He did a set every day, nonstop for 30 days. A different set? It didn't It didn't matter if it was a different set, a same set. It was just doing okay. nonstop right. sets so for, for 30, 30 days. days. So I said, you know what? Let me try this. That's very cool. So I did it. Once I hit 30, I said, you know what? Let me see about 50. But as I got to 50, I started getting tired of my old jokes, so it forced me to write more. I hit 50. I said, you know what? I'm going to go to 75. I was at 75. Without taking a break. 75 days straight. But here was the thing. This wasn't just one set a day in many cases. Right. Because Chicago, I can do two and three sets a night. Mm-hmm. So I'm at 75. I said, you know what? I'm going to see if I can hit 100. I love this. So I went to 100 nights in a row. My 100th night. I held a roast at a Riddles Comedy Club and a bunch of comics and a bunch of friends came out because they were like, this is something, no, we don't know of any comics that have done this in a while, that have done this before. And my 100th set was me doing writing a bunch of roast jokes about people. But the tally when I was done was 127 sets and 100 nights. In that time, I had written so much more I developed my voice so much more. I've gained a whole new level of confidence and who I was. Oh, yeah. So then the opportunities started coming back to feature. Can you do 30? I absolutely have 30. That's right. Then I would start going on the road with buddies of mine, buddies of mine who would recommend me to the booker and say, Jay can headline this room. And they were like, you know, you can headline. And I was like, are you sure? He's like, you can trust me. I know you can. 
I got my first opportunity to do a couple of road gigs for uh, Funny Business, the Yoders, and 45 minutes, and I flew through it. And it just it flew through like I didn't realize the time had passed. And I was like, oh, I can do 45. Then I kept getting the opportunity to do it more, and it was solid, just constantly solid. But then I can grow the hour. I was growing the hour, but after a while, I got tired of it. And the thing is with me, it doesn't take me long to get tired of my own material because I perform so much, which is a blessing. So with every two to three months, after I've worked a certain amount of jokes up, they go to the side. Yeah. They go to the side. Yeah. Even though I'll bring them back, they're not my primary focus. Now it's something new. But I also have to live life because I can't write if I don't live life. I write about what That's I live. That's right. What, what I go through. What are you going to write about if you're, you know, the home? Right. I write yeah, about what I to... go through. Yeah. So I had to start allowing myself to live life because I was so focused. You were so entrenched. I was so with tunnel the, vision. With this goal. Yeah, so tunnel. This yeah. was even after the 100 nights. You, did, you weren't, you didn't have a life. Yeah, this was even after. Yeah. But I have, but I have children, all this. This was even afterwards. Okay. I'm still tunnel vision on, I got to do this. But then I started just being able, I could write observational things. But personal, I never really touched that much. Then let's fast forward to what turned out to be about three, four years ago. Two of my good friends who are arguably my best friends in the world right now, they're two comedians. One told me, he said, listen, you're hilarious, but here's a problem. Nobody leaves from you with anything about you. I was like, what are you talking about? He was like, you don't give them anything of you. You tell them how you feel, you tell them what you see, but they don't know about you. Mm -hmm. And I'm stubborn. I was like, they don't need to know about me. They yeah. need to know I'm funny. That's all yeah. that matters. Yeah. Takes us a minute to wrap <laughs> our head around that, doesn't it? I was like, does Oh, it, yeah. wait. Well, I, have to, I have to express my feelings. <laughs> oh, right. wait a second. I have to open my heart to you people. I have to be vulnerable to you I people. I tell you what's inside here. Right. And so I was uh -oh. like, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> and so he was like- That's where it's start, really He's like, just try to see what happens. Yeah. I was like, all right, whatever. And I'll never forget the first joke that I wrote about that. I did CrossFit with a buddy of mine. And the experience was so shaking. It was a good experience, but if someone was like, I got to talk about this. And I talked about how I felt doing CrossFit. And it <laughs> killed. And I was like, nah, this might be a fluke. Then I did it again. Then I wrote another joke about what true situation Many people have heard me do this joke about scaring a dude in the bathroom of a Starbucks. It is a true story. I went into the bathroom of a Starbucks. The door wasn't locked. When I opened the door, the guy was terrified. I put the post on Facebook. Somebody was like, you need to talk about that on stage. Started talking about it on stage. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. And so then I started developing my voice more and more. A different light bulb. It's a completely yep. different. Uh, um, it's like it, it's like a different path than the road. It's like that Robert Frost, you know, poem: Two roads diverge in a yellow mm -hmm. wood. <laughs> what road are you gonna take? Do you want to be a surfacey comic or do you want to go deep? <laughs> Absolutely. And do you want to do you want to stay for the long haul? And that was the thing that allowed me to yeah, be able to do and that. be unique. And yes. because if you're not, if it's just surfacey jokes, you're not going to be Jay Washington. They're not going to remember you. Absolutely. Because we know those comics that are surfacey and they do well. And some of them are making a shit ton of money, but I'm not sure about their future. You There's know? so many you'll see where if anything topical happens, you know, it's going to go in their set. Yeah. And for me personally, my thought process is always, I don't want to go for the low-hanging fruit because sometimes people are inundated by it consistently with comics. Yeah. 
pol- politics always. Mm-hmm. Why constantly go about it when everybody's going to keep hearing the thing, to keep seeing it in the news? Give them something different. Yeah. And me telling about myself and knowing how to tell you some of the most hilarious things I've ever been through and knowing how to convey that is like, okay, this is unique within itself. Nobody else is going to live like that. I remember, <laughs> I remember when I first started, I have a diehard fear of squirrels. <laughs> now that would be interesting material on stage. I tried to tell the joke about it at first and didn't know how to tell it right. Okay. But over time, I was able to tell that whole story about how I felt like squirrels were going to attack me. And I did it. And then I conveyed it all this and I made it so visual where you could see it. Yeah. And it was like, how do you tell a story about you not liking squirrels? I was like, well, I'm going to paint the picture for you. And that's what I did. That's a funny phobia. That's very unique. I don't like squirrels. <laughs> uh, I don't like spiders, but well, it's like, you know, ha- the, I'm fine with rats. I'm fine with snakes. But, see, that's you know, the thing. it's funny. It's just a phobia. This, this, it's it's the, very personal. The joke evolved from if <laughs> my ex-girlfriend at the time, we were together, and I will never forget we were at her house, and a mouse, she had a mouse in her house. And I always said, most men are like, baby, I'll catch it and kill it for you. Or baby, I'll call an exterminator. <laughs> I did neither one of those. And I told her, I think we should see other people. <laughs> because that's not my, not my house, not my mouse, not my responsibility. So, which is a true story. And because of my not liking rodents, and I, I said, I don't like rodents. I don't like mice. I don't like rats. I don't like hamsters. I don't like squirrels. I don't like, I mean, I don't like hamsters. I don't like chipmunks. If I see Alvin and his two little brothers, I will feel cold, feel go kick the shit out of them. But I said, more importantly, I don't like squirrels. And so I was able to take all these personal things I'd been through and correlate them together and make one story that is hilarious. You know, it's also reminded me of something, uh, Bill Hicks, Comedy 101. Which I have printed out right there, and mm. I look at it every time I go out the door. Whenever I go to a set, mm. and he says, "If you're not, if you're not going to be funny, be in- interesting." Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, when especially like in, with a newer comic who's just finding their voice, I know you're past the stage, but I'm kind of in it right now, where I'm. Uh, I, I was getting, I'm getting the same feedback that I'm not getting deep enough. So sometimes I'll just find something quirky. And vulnerable and raw and weird mm-hmm. and just say it and it may not get a laugh, but they're sure the fuck paying attention. They're sure paying attention at the world. <laughs> now you've got them captivated, and that's the thing. So it's then just, you had to massage it into a setup premise, you know, premise setup punch, and you I, know. Man, I've been I've been so blessed and fortunate to work with so many people who've been in this game at least 15, 20 years, who have instilled so much into me. Where I was told one time, if you got a six minute set and it's a spot you don't know and you probably don't care, take a chance. Say whatever comes off the top of your head. Make sure you're recording it. See how you can riff it. See what you can do. And because I'm able to do that, I, I'm I'm quick off the cuff. But I was able to take stuff off my head and I was making bits as I was going along. And as I was making the bits, I was making transitions and segues to stuff that didn't normally exist. Mm-hmm. But I would run through seven minutes and make a set. And I was like, okay, now let me listen to it. Now, some of it was like, okay, this was spur of the moment. This didn't really have any substance to it. But there were other things I was like, okay, I can take this and rework this and make yeah. it something better. And that's just been the blessing I had to be able to do that, to be able to be on stage enough to do that. It's a lot of people don't get those opportunities, which I'm totally grateful for. 
you know, I think to, we're blessed to be here because we, we can do three sets a night if we, if, if we you, have the gumption. If and, you have it or also. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work, but it well, is possible. Well, here's, here's. <laughs> and all, some of the open mics, it's. Like, That's where I was about to go. Cause here's yeah, my, yeah. here's my personal opinion about LA comedy. <laughs> There's a lot, because there isn't a lot of stage time, people make stage time, but the problem with the stage time they make, it's not all quality stage mm-hmm. time. And so people yeah. are like, oh, as long yeah. as you're on a stage, it doesn't matter. It does. I would rather speak into a room that has two people actually listening yeah. than 15 comics in the back. That are looking at their phone. That are looking at their thinking phone. Thinking about their set, what they're going to say. Exactly. And in order to get a reaction out of them, you have to just be balls to the walls, nuts, just to get a reaction. Or one of their friends. Yeah, right. Or one of their friends. Right. And so, and that's, that's a really good point. And I saw that when I first got here, I hit mm-hmm. every single, I was, you know, because I'd been doing it, but I didn't care. No, I know a lot of people didn't know me here. So I hit every single open mic that I could here. Yeah. I because, did the same. Cause I need to know who I need to know, where do I need to go? What open mics will be worthwhile? Which ones can I help develop material at? Comedybureau.com. Man, I was there every Lived night. on that website. Me too. Me too. Lived on it. And, but I would go to some open mics. I'm like, oh, these people are, these comics only laughing at their friends. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this isn't worth my time. So then I would find some that would be like maybe at a bar. And I'm like, oh, people actually trickle in here. Because I'm under the impression of if it's, like I said, one or two people that are normal people to watch this, you are my audience. I don't care about anybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's been one of my things I, I lean on because those are the people who are going to pay to see you. If I'm you know, blessed and fortunate enough to be that name on the marquees across the country, those are the people that are going to follow your career. I don't. I'm not knocking my peers, but at the end of the day, my peers don't pay. Yeah. My peers don't pay for tickets. Yeah. They try to get a hookup or see who they know. Right. So I would rather those two people who will tell four people who will tell eight and so on and so forth. Yeah. That's smart. You know, that's just the way I just had to look at some things like that. I mean. Well, you know, I I started performing too early as well. Um, I've been a comic for only two years, exactly two years Mm -hmm. And I was just really overzealous to just, I, I thought, well, there's just no other way. I've, I've started, I've been um, working since I was 15 as well. And I just had a very hard worker. And for me, uh, there, was, there was no substitute for on-the-job training. So I thought, you know what, I don't want to go to comedy class. I don't want to sit in a bunch of workshops. Fucking, I'm just going to go out and do it. Mm-hmm. And that this is how I'm going to learn. That's just been my philosophy with everything. So I did it. And it really was kind of premature. And I would go to the open mics two, three a night before the show. But it really wasn't a good, I was so insecure because the the amount of applause at these dilapidated open mics, mm. it, was, it was just so inconsistent that I had no idea if I had good material or not. And there's nothing worse than going on stage and not being confident. Yeah, that was the number one thing that, I knew you had to have. That will bury you. Like they're going to smell it. They're going to smell that you're scared. And it doesn't matter. Like, let's say I had great material, but if I'm not not confident, confident, I don't have a shot. Not at all. You know? So that was a big problem for me, like the first year, I would say, you know? That was one of the things. Too too early. That was one of the things I think I'm always grateful for Chicago for, for, excuse me. Our crowds would force you to be confident on stage because they were sharks. Yeah. And you were literally the blood in the water. Really? They could smell it. If you weren't God, confident, I would love to do comedy in Chicago. They they, they knew it. Oh. Like you know, people will say some crowds. Oh well, they should be want to be entertained. Yeah, but Chicago's comedy crowds, they are known for watching great comedy. 
They don't care if you're from L.A. They don't care if you're from New York. They don't care if you're from Chicago. You just need to be funny. And you need to prove it. Yeah. Don't go on stage nervous because if you do, they'll know it. Yeah. They'll 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 tense up. They don't care. Yeah. And if you do get them finally, it'll be almost time your set's over with. And so you don't want to finally go out like that. You know, even though some people say, oh, you're only remembered by your last joke. That's not always true. You know, I just like I said, I, I love all the opportunities I've had thus far. And it's just been it's been an amazing ride and I'm enjoying it. Well, I remember your. I've I've seen a few. I've seen you perform a lot. Actually, um, we performed together at Hooters. Mm-hmm. That's how we met. Yes, that's how we officially. That's, that's how, how we, we officially, officially met, met in person. Yes, right. But we had been social media friends. Yeah, for a while. For a while, we got each other's attention right away mm-hmm. because you started. You just we have. Uh, you were just always posting what you were doing, mm. and I really respected the hell out of that. Thank and you. I just wanted to be friends. So we started like this really cool rapport. And I think you were hosting the show that night. Is I think, that, I, yeah, I think or, I was. It was like, yeah, he had asked me, can I host? And I was like, I don't care. And man, that booker is sweet as pie. Yeah. Is he not, Steven? Steven asked me, because yeah, he just hit me Coleman, up last week. Man. He hit me up last Wednesday, like last minute. It was like five, <laughs> it was five in the afternoon. I was literally on the ARC trainer at the gym. He was like, hey, do you have anything tonight? I was like, no, what's up? He's like, hey, do you want to do a spot? Sure, I'm already I'm, I'm already in Hollywood right now. Doesn't matter. Let's go. How nice! And so he's he's been gr- he's been a great guy. I, he's know? one of my favorites, and you know th- I like that venue a lot. They pull up, you know, d- crazy, crazy. Uh, you never know what you're going to get in that crowd because literally it's just people from Hollywood Boulevard. It's tourists. You could get total of tourists. You could get some crazies too. Mm-hmm. And I had a guy try to put money down my shirt during my set that night. And uh, that nothing like that's ever happened before. Wow. And I wasn't sure. Like, I actually got close enough to him. He was sitting in the front row, and he went to hand me something. I thought he was handing me a note. And when I got close to him, he, like, just kind of lounged at me, like... Uh, oh, wow. And, and tried to put his hand down my shirt with, like, money. And I'm like, oh, dude, it's not that kind of show. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. And now, like... Had I more experience, I would have handled it so completely differently. You know, yeah, you know afterwards I, you're like, shit, I should have said this. Oh, yeah, we I always said. <laughs> I, I guess the initial shock of that, yeah, like. I was like, oh, man. But you just never know what's going to happen. I always love doing shows where you'll have, a, you'll have a couple in the crowd. And nine times out of ten, the guy's either trying to look tough or he really doesn't want to be there. Uh, so I always make it my personal challenge to break him. <laughs> because you're not gonna look pissed off of me. You can look pissed off of me through any other comic before me and after me. Yeah. But while I'm up here, you're gonna giggle at least twice. And oh, so wow. it's my goal to make him laugh. So I'll say some of the most obscure things, things to just try to bring him in and make him have fun. And and nine times out of ten it works. Well, you make the audience comfortable. That's what I try to that's, that's what I've witnessed about you, not just in your, you know, in your shows, but also in during the open mics. You just have this very, people feel like they go back with you. You're, you're familiar. And I'm not sure if it's, if it's a Midwest thing or if it's just speaking about your experience from all, you know, doing mm. 127 sets in 100 <laughs> days, you know, but you just have a very e- easiness on stage. And I think that's really important too, because you want the comic to, you want to feel like the comic is in control. Yes. 
Absolutely. And absolutely, and you have that. And Thank what, you so much. Yeah, and so I, it's probably a combination of of your you know experience for, and and for me it was always your personality. Uh, for me it was I knew I would be a bigger black guy that looked like he just got out of prison <laughs> that would scare the average person. So you are huge, dude. So, <laughs> so You're a big wrestler from Chicago. <laughs> so my thing was always I had to get you comfortable and loosen you up. Because if I don't loosen you up, you're already going to be terrified that if if I don't laugh at him. So you had to kind of work extra hard. I had to, yeah, I had to figure out. Let me make sure I take this first fifteen to twenty seconds to loosen you up real quick. Because if I can get you just to giggle real fast, I got you. That's all I need. I just need that little quick in window, that little quick window. I got you. And it's been amazing doing it because a lot of people also, when they see I'm doing so many shows all these different places, Mm -hmm. people say. Dude, does your your manager book you all this? I said, what manager? So oh. you don't have a manager? No, I. The only thing I have is a comedic, uh, com- excuse me, commercial and theatrical agent. Okay, completely that, different. Completely different. They have nothing to do with the comedy scene. Nothing. They don't even know what to do with you. My, but here's the crazy part: my agent does. Oh, good. And I love her to death for saying it. She's like, I don't want to do it. I can't deal with the headache. Because she's dealt with it so much. And it's like, okay. yeah, it is kind of hard because you're dealing with personalities. Yeah. Sometimes bookers and some promoters are unsuccessful comedians who, you know, or, you know, they haven't, they didn't get the shot that they thought they would get. And so now they're relegated to another position. And because they have the position of authority, oh, who does this person think? So sometimes I can see how that can happen. But yeah. I do all this on my own because, well, not not that I want to. Because God knows, I would love to have somebody say, hey, I can help push you to the next level. But it's like, I have to be my own voice outside of the voice I am on stage. And so I have to make people comfortable so much that I know that if I go on stage and I'm just, I just have a rage out moment. Oh, that big black dude who snapped out. We can't have him around. (laughs) And there's nobody to speak up on my behalf behind that. Right. I can't be the one to say, hey, uh, what had happened was, I can't be that person. Yeah, yeah. So it's always been the, you know, just trying to make, like I said, make everybody comfortable. Yeah. No matter what. Would you say that you are a comedian who does acting or an actor who does comedy? I am a comedian who does acting. Okay. There is just no hesitation. I am a comedian who does, I am a comedian that just happens to act. And, And it's funny I say it that way too, being, again, I consider myself very fortunate, very blessed. I've done maybe five movies, four TV shows, three com- four commercials, internet presence, and different things. A lot for being here for two years. Yeah, I did, which I did the majority. I did a lot of stuff last year, more stuff last year in one year than I did my entire career total. You have so many credits and, on your IMDb. I couldn't even fit it all. That's why when you asked me what I was like, I I was like, well, I'm just going to ask what credits he wants me to mention because there were so many that it just would have gone on and on. Thank you. It's really impressive. And it's just been me working hard. And it's hard. hard. It's so hard to get IMTB credits, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Ones that aren't aren't decent credits. Decent credits. Because I know a lot of people just, oh, I was here, so I'm going to just make sure I post myself. But the thing was, it was just a matter of, you know, doing all those things. I always said this I wanted to be a stand up comedian. I was a professional wrestler, and I knew I could talk to crowds. And when the opportunity to get an agent in Chicago opened up, I was going on dishes, and I was like, all right, whatever. Yeah, what is the acting scene in Chicago? It's just as intense. I mean, granted, you're not... Granted, you're not always going up against high-profile celebs and stars already, but everybody there is... They're hungry. 
Okay. Chicago's a hungry town. Okay. So you have to be on point because the next person behind you wants it just as bad as you do, if not more. So I would go and I'd be, eh, whatever, it's an audition, whatever, it's an audition. Then I started getting callbacks and I was like, wait, what? They want to see me again? <laughs> okay. So then I had a callback. And the callback that I got that really shook me up in a good way was a callback I did for a bank commercial because it was a paid callback. Oh, I was like, what? We like that. I was like, okay. I went and I'll never forget because one of the things I did in the initial audition, they said, we need people who can just act like they can sing. Can anybody act like they can sing? I said, I can do it. It was like, can you sing like Michael Bolton-esque? I was like, sure. And I did. And I got the callback <laughs> off of it. You sing too and he oh, it was, sings, it was, No, it was meant to be bad. It was meant to be bad. Apart from no, no, that's not this is like this you Jay Washington sing. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did it in the callback too. And I was like, okay. And then my agent called me and was like, how you doing? I was like, I'm good. He was like, you got your backpack? I was like, for what? He's like, you're going to New York. You just booked that. I said, what? I booked a commercial. And this is what let me know it could be real. I booked a commercial where they flew me out to New York for one day for fitting. Nice. On a Friday. Nice. Pick me, had a car pick me up, take me to the airport. Uh-huh. I went on a plane, had a car take me to the thing. I got fitted. Red they carpet. fed me, sent me right back home to come back Monday. <laughs> this is to come deal. back Monday. <laughs> Put me up in the Ace Hotel in Manhattan. That's a nice hotel. Yes, it is. And so I was it's out there. Chic. For it's like not a corporate. It's like chic and cool. I was there for yeah. two and a half, two and a half days. And that made me realize, oh, I can do this. And then I booked another commercial. And then I was going on auditions. I was booking different things. I booked a print ad and I booked another thing. And then all of a sudden I had an audition for a movie. All right, let's try this. Cool. Well, my agent was like, oh, they got you on hold. Okay, whatever. Then I got the call to audition for Chirac. Mm-hmm. He was like, I got an audition for you. It's for the worst kept secret in the city. It's for Spike Lee's movie. Holy I was like, balls, man. This, no, but for me, I just was like, okay, whatever. I literally went down there to where we all had to audition at, and I was like, oh, this is just going to be another casting director like normal. I get down there, I see a bunch of people, a couple of high profile Chicago celebrities, people I know in general. Cool. And I hear somebody pop out of a room and says, he wants to get something else to drink. Who the hell is he? Five minutes later, Spike Lee's head pops out. I was like, oh, shit, he here. Mm-hmm. I said, well, I know my lines. There's a point in me getting nervous. I'll never forget that conversation because the conversation I had with him when I walked in the room from beginning to end is the conversation that started the whole change in my life, too. Another change. I walked in the door, handed Spike my headshot and my resume. He said, okay. So, oh, you're a comedian? I said, yeah. He was like, are you funny? I was like, my schedule says so. He was right, like, well, it's a bunch answer. of he was like, it's a bunch of unfunny people that's, not, that's working. I said, they're not me. So we do the scene, me and the casting director, and then Spike is just feeding in lines, and I'm just improving with it, but Perfect. not even looking at him, still going with the casting director, and went for like five minutes. He was like, okay, okay, I like it. I'm getting ready to walk out the door. As I walk out the door, he closes the door. He said, what are you doing for the summer? Are you on tour or are you here? I said, I'm here for the summer. He said, okay. I left there. I was like, I'm 95% sure I just booked a role in the Spike Lee movie. No idea what this role was. Mm-hmm. The next day, my agent calls me. They want you on hold for Chirac. Cool. I'm 96% sure. A week later, I get an email. Casting needs to know, are you available for these particular days? I say, yup, I absolutely am. 97. 97% sure. <laughs> May 5th, 2015, 
was the greatest and worst day in my life at the same time. My then girlfriend and fiance and my one year old daughter, we all lived together. She was moving to Tacoma, Washington, back to where she was from, because I was going to move out here. And the goal was for me to come here, get situated. She was going to go home and stay, go back home and get herself together, come down here, reconnect. But I would go back and forth. Took them to the airport that morning. In every level of tears, I was crying all the way. It's the hardest thing watching them go. I'd already helped her, you know, send her stuff to ship it off and whatnot. But to watch them go in an airplane yeah. was the hardest thing. I get back. I'm still packing up, trying to get my stuff together in tears. I get an email. Casting gave you one final email. Are you available for these dates? I said, yeah, whatever. I am. Four hours later, I got a call. You booked the role. I said, what? <laughs> I had booked the role. I just knew I had a role in a Spike Lee movie. I've been a Spike Lee fan since I was a kid. Sure. So I was excited. Fast forward, we go to wardrobe fitting. I get in there. They've got all the headshots on the wall. And I see Nick Cannon. I see Angela Bassett, Samuel L. Jackson, yeah. Dave Chappelle, the all best. these people I've just the I've best. just seen in career in TV and film all my life. And I'm like, this is this is amazing. We go get the clothing and we're going on 47th and King Drive because they wanted to buy everything in the community. I'm standing up and they got a shirt and the costume designer, she puts it up against me and says, he's going to look good with Wes in this. I was like, Wes who? She's like, you have no idea what you're doing, right? I said, I don't have a clue. She's like, oh, you're Wesley Snipes' right-hand man. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. This is uh, making the indoctrination <laughs> to acting really uh, quite nice. Okay. Yeah, this is really a nice, nice start. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> and so I told my wife, I'm, 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 I was stuttering in the text message. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm Wesley Snipes' right-hand man in this movie. <laughs> I don't believe it. <laughs> So, I'll never forget John Cusack set up a cast meeting at the Soho House of Chicago. I walk in to where everybody is. They had it cut off and everything. It's Tiana Paris who was on Mad Men. She was in the original Dear White People. Lala Anthony. I'm like, this is Carmelo's wife. MTV VJ, this and the third. Wesley Snipes sitting down and everything. I'm like, okay, this is crazy. I introduced myself to Wesley, everybody. We just kicking it. I'm like, oh, this is this is surreal. Then I get the cap, the call sheet the night before for the first day we're shooting. I know I'm on a scene with Wesley, and I look at the call sheet at the very bottom. The last call name is Dave Chappelle. Oh I said, are you, are you freaking serious? serious? Are you serious? <laughs> I said, this is this is not Man, this is not so this is not happening. Uh, angelic previous lives, my so, friend. This so is a I go on set situation. and I'm in hair and makeup and I'm in one chair <laughs> and Wesley's next to me. Spike walks in the trailer. He talks to Wesley. He said, Hey, you see who on the sheet? He's like, Who? He's like, Dave. He's like, Dave, who? He's like, Dave's parents. Like, oh, okay. Spike looks at me and says, I already know, Jay. I said, Hey, man, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I'm okay. <laughs> we get on set. We get everything set up. We finally get on set. We blocked. Dave walks in. Spike looks at me and say, Jay, be cool. I said, hey, man, let's just work. I'm good. We know my insides. I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. <laughs> so we do the scene. The scene, I don't have any lines in this scene originally. None. It's just Dave and Wesley. And at one point, Spike says, get in there, Jay. 
So we just going wow. back and forth. So it's Dave and Wesley, Dave and Wesley, me, Dave and Wesley, me, Dave, me, Dave, me, me and Dave back and forth. I made Dave Chappelle break twice and bust up laughing. <laughs> and I was like, God of ass. You're like, hey, Spike, am I funny now? <laughs> <laughs> and so that was the moment right afterwards. The head choreographer and the co-writer came over to me. They were like, you just took this character to an entirely new dimension we never thought, and we love it. Dave Chappelle and I talked for about an hour. And we were talking about different comedians because I know Tommy Davis and Tommy was one of the comedians. He came up with him and Tony Woods. Him and I talked and clicked. We exchanged numbers and everything. So when I moved here, he was at the improv. I walked in. They was like, hey, you know him? He was like, he good. What up, Chirac? And we was just kicking it. Wow. wow. And I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with Dave Chappelle. I was like, this is surreal. And that was, you know, and then that opened the door when I came out here, like I said. Hello, I haven't done Los Angeles. Hello, Los Angeles, because I came Man. out here right Because I didn't want to come out here without a solid credit. Wow. I know people who had done commercials, but I knew yeah, I needed to have some TV it's and different. film yeah. to come out here. And to have a Spike Lee joint, I was like, well, I'm on my way to LA yeah, now. Yeah, I guess you had an agent pretty quickly, or did you s- stay with the agent from... <sighs> somebody in Chicago recommended me to somebody <laughs> here. And uh, I talked to him, and we had a nice long conversation. He said he want to work with me. Cool. This was like the second week in December. He Then he sent me the next day on an audition for Angie Tribeca. I was like, cool. Oh, amazing. First day, next day you sent me something cool. But then I knew it was about to be the holidays, and L.A. shuts down. Yeah. Excuse me. Big LA, time. L.A. shuts Ghost down. Whoa. So I was like, fine. I waited a week and a half after New Year's when I knew everybody's back to work. I typed up a nice letter to him, an email to him in the agency. I was like, listen, Chirac's about to drop on DVD. We need to move on this a little more. I need to have this you know, go because I'm one of the characters. Let's do something about this. Okay, we'll see what we can do. Pilot season comes and the whole pilot season goes. I have not one audition at all. I wonder if there's even a pilot season anymore. It's, like, that's cha- the thing. it's changed so much. Because now you have the streaming sites where everything yeah, can just pop up. But, but, but people make you feel like, oh, you know, you have to get something during pilot season. But I got, I got no even no auditions. Yeah. So I was like, oh, you all didn't do anything. And I have a, a distinct look. Mm. I sent a nice, I sent the longest email I've ever written in my entire life. And I was like, I'm done. I said, I don't need to have an agent just to say I have an agent. If you can't work as hard for me as I work for myself, I don't need you. In short, you're fired. You're fired. After <laughs> five pages. Literally, literally, but you get all this. So then I remember when I came out here to visit in January. May I plagiarize that letter? Oh, no, I'll send it to people. you. I'll send it exactly to you. I'll send it to you. We're going to have to edit that part out. <laughs> and so I remember when I, so I remember when I came out here to visit in January of 2015, uh, an agent out here started following me on Twitter out of nowhere. And I corresponded with her back back then. And she was like, are you L.A. based? And I was like, no. She was like, well, I can't do anything with you. Let me know whenever you become L.A. based. I remembered her. She had left that agency and went to another one. I emailed her. My credits had updated now. Badass resi- credits. You know, I everything updated. And she was like, okay, let's come in and come in and let's talk. I know some people that have spoken highly of you. Who the f- do you know that I know? So we go and we talk, come to find out two of the people that are in Chirac, one is her good friend, Steve Harris, who is Wood Harris's brother. Steve's been in everything. And another one is Saranis Jackson. Saranis is now popular because he plays Dro on HBO's Insecure mm. and another comic. Her and I were only supposed to talk for one hour. 
we just conversed for four hours. Wow. And we just bonded. Yeah. And she was like, all right, let's see what happens. You're like already friends. And we became real cool. Yeah. She is still my agent to this day. She yeah. she loves the fact that I can do so much stuff still on my own. Yeah. Because she's like, I don't. I work harder for you because you don't have to have me. Yeah. You don't, because there are so many people who get agents and managers, they just lean on them. They do. And and if things aren't happening, they're really, you know, they're quick to blame the agent and manager. They're and quick I don't, to blame them. I don't want to be one of those actors, you know. But, I never but do. if I'm like doing a lot on my own, and mm-hmm. I mean a lot, and booking a lot on my own, and then having to cut them a check when I'm like submitting myself and booking exactly, myself and exactly. doing all the work, then it's like, Hmm, I don't know. I gotta, you know, inevitably you got to kind of scratch your head. And so she's been like, she works so hard for me. I, she's put me out in the different rooms and has people talking about me. And, but you would say it's a two way street. It's though. very like much you're a meeting her halfway. Yeah. And, I, I yeah. tell everybody I rock with my agent so hard. Like I, t- I've, I've tweeted about her and it's, it's what is her, like, what is her name? Kylie McKenzie. Kylie McKenzie. And I tell everybody, Kylie is the best thing I've had to my career because she believes wow. in me so much. And Kylie has like five other comedians and she was like, look, I'm not handling none of you all's comedy careers. She's from New Zealand originally. Oh, cool. and she, she knows how crazy it can be. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's fair. But, she does so much for me, and I'm so grateful for her, especially being Man. out here in this in this crazy lion's den. It's like the ending of Jerry Maguire. I want to <laughs> meet your agent and give her a hug. Uh, so, um, so post what what do you have going on now? You're um, I don't know why. Like you have an association with Comic Con now, no? Yes. There, so okay. this is what happens. So my podcast, the Trusty Psychic Podcast, I co-host with Bobby Hill. We talk about everything in the Marvel and DC live action TV show and movie universes. It came about because we were just, we're friends who just like the shows. And so we was like, yo, let's just do a podcast about it. But we talk like just a regular conversation, like two regular dudes. And so it's just real and we're both comedians. So we'll be cracking jokes in the point and just trying, just having fun talking about it. Well, it caught on real quick. Mm -hmm. People started hearing about it. And then we're like, okay, well, let's start covering these Comic Cons to, you know, do that. Ah, okay. You know, so we'll cover it, we'll recap it, we'll save all the breaking news, we'll put it on our website. I ended up being involved, getting involved with Screen Junkies. So when I go to the Comic Cons, I'm involved with Screen Junkies and Collider Video, excuse me. When I go to the Comic Cons, people will stop me. Oh my God, you're Jay Washington. (laughs) And I'm like, huh, what? Because I've never been used to that at all. And so people still become fans That's of the nice. podcast and all that. Yeah, so yeah. it's been a great thing with that. You and know, it's well-deserved. I mean, you work so hard. It's been just me busting my behind just consistently trying to you, do it. And it shows. It shows. You know, I had a, a Mindy Bear, the saxophonist, uh, on the show last week. And we were talking a little bit about talent versus hard work. Mm-hmm. You know, and what John do we C. really, Maxwell you know, has, John C. Hey, Maxwell has a great book. Talent is never enough. Talent is never enough. And then there's another one called the talent code. Mm-hmm. There's another one called talent is overrated, but I'm, I'm a really big believer in hard work and you, you build the talent by, by being uncomfortable yes. and putting yourself out there and just like really working hard and try and hopefully working smart. And, uh, you inspire me and Thank I happen you. to know for a fact you inspire a lot of comics in this town, I hear it firsthand. 
And I'm uh, really, really honored when you said yes to this show. And uh, and where can we see you? What's uh, well, your website, your links? I'll where? give you everything. Website is jwashington.com, J-A-Y-Washington.com. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Mr. J Washington, M-R-J-A-Y-W-A-S-H-I-N-G-T-O-N. Again, you can check me out on the Trusty Sidekick Podcast. Catch me on Collider Videos, the movie Trivia Smowdown. Catch me on Screen Junkies. I've got so much other stuff coming up. I would just say stay tuned every which way possible, and I'll keep people updated. Jay, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Jay Washington. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this week's Drinking During Business Hours. I'm Sarah J. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Sarah J. Halstead. And if you liked this episode, please give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you really liked it, make sure you tell a friend and every single family member. Thank you.